You're listening to the Therapy for Women podcast with licensed therapists Amanda White, Fern Formel, and Gabby Salomon. Whether you're contemplating therapy for the first time, already in therapy, or reconsidering it, this podcast will empower you with tips, advice, and plenty of real talk so you can get the most out of your sessions. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Therapy for Women podcast. We have Fern here. Hi, Fern. Hi. And we have a special guest. We have Zara here, who is a therapist with us. How are you today, Zara? Hi, I'm good. How are you today? We're good. We're excited to have you here and to chat all about South Asian mental health. So for those that don't know, Zara works at Therapy for Women, and she's really passionate about working with individuals in that community. So why don't you share a little bit about your background before we get into it? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I'll just kind of walk through like what exactly like led me into this field and what my experiences were before I became a therapist or what motivated me to become a therapist. But essentially, towards the end of my high school experience, I had something happen within my family. It was a pretty traumatic experience. And initially, I honestly really didn't know how to cope with anything. And my mom, she's a wonderful human. She recommended I go to therapy, which I I was totally against it, but after her talking to me multiple times, and honestly, it was more so like she forced me into therapy at that point. (laughs) I was like, okay, you know what? seems like I don't have a choice. I'll just go. And I did. And although it ended up being as good of an experience as I guess it could have been, I didn't leave that experience feeling like fully satisfied. I I feel like it did what it needed to for that time. But like I said, my motivation was so low. But we also know just like going to therapy and having someone who will listen to you, give you that unconditional positive regard is very meaningful as it is. So I think that's all I took from it and kind of left that experience. Then I essentially went to college after that. Basically, my mom, (laughs) which much later on, I found out that this particular therapist accidentally unintentionally shared some information with my mom that was pretty harmful but if she had known uh, more I guess a cultural context she definitely would have known to not share that information with her so basically her and my mom worked for the same hospital and totally different buildings though but they kind of ran into each other and she very harmlessly asked a question which she shouldn't have because it disclosed something about me that she like my mom wasn't supposed to know and my mom being a very very wonderful human like kind of ended that conversation right then and there and like walked away from it and then was basically like because when I came home for a break or something I wanted to go back for a session my mom was like ah probably not I'm like you are literally all about therapy and now you're saying don't go she was basically recommending a different person but I'm very lucky and thankful that my mom did not take advantage of that situation and she had my back but later on she did disclose to me she's like I don't want you going back to that therapist because this particular situation happened and I mean my mom did her job like she got mad at me for that thing <laughs> and she did her part with that but she also then was like okay let's not do that basically after that experience I realized okay Okay, mental health is very important. 
And at the same time, I'm recognizing that maybe the kind of person that I would connect with isn't really around here. So I did my own research as well, couldn't really find a South Asian therapist, couldn't honestly even really find any person of color in my hometown. So I was like, okay, this kind of stinks. And a couple of months after that, my best friend's mom, who's also South Asian, was diagnosed with cancer. She really could have utilized therapy during her treatment she couldn't because of the language barrier so that was like yet another like point for me where I was like oh my gosh there's this really high need and we don't have it and coincidentally I was also taking a psychology class in undergrad back then where my professor told us that over 80% of the clinicians within the field are white and so then I was like oh my goodness okay so I was getting passionate about mental health in general and then I recognized how meaningful it would be to be able to connect with people within my community or just like people of color and kind of make a difference there and then eventually I did end up with a South Asian therapist and it was a game changer for me so over the course of years while I was in college like I used to go to the counseling center and stuff and I had white therapists there too and they were so wonderful and I had some really really good experiences there but I think it's very different when you can connect with someone who not only understands the language but also your culture and like the nuances and I've lived in Pakistan for 12 years of my life so you know at that point when I was in college I had spent half of my life there half of my life here so there were just like so many I guess like like intersectioning things about my identity that were also impacting like certain family dynamics and to have a South Asian therapist who really understood all of that and I was able to like you know explain things in a different language it was so meaningful for me and I walked away from that and I knew it I was like I want to be a therapist and I was like if I can even do this for one person that's good enough for me and back then I was also engaging in activities like I was a resident assistant and I used to like mentor like first gen college students and stuff so I loved like mentorship and guidance and just being a support system for people and so to kind of like get obviously like a whole degree in it afterwards from like a specifically mental health perspective was so meaningful for me so yeah and now that I'm in the field it's so rewarding it's so rewarding I just like even when I talk to my clients right now they'll like tell me about an experience and as they're about to experience something I'm like I got it I see like that like sigh of relief like okay now that I don't have to explain this let's actually move into like the meat of the stuff so yeah that's a little bit about how I ended up here love it I think there is just, right, you can study different cultures and part of being a therapist is trying to be aware of different things. But like you said, there is just a different level when someone not only understands the exact culture that you're part of, but also the language. Because I think it's so interesting how language isn't just perfectly translatable across the board. There are nuances. Yes, absolutely. And I think there's also like this human connection that you then experience with being able to connect with someone you know, in a different language, or especially for people who are immigrants who come here and, you know, their home language, their it's just not present here. And to be able to talk to a professional and be able to trust them, I think it makes such a huge difference. Like a very simple pro-social interaction within therapy can just can be like the most beneficial thing. And I feel like immediately people are able to connect over that. And that can be very meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've known you for months now and I I did not know that story, obviously. You know, I didn't I didn't know what made you decide to become 
you know, a therapist and get into mental health. But I'm so curious because this is such a common thing that we hear is you said, I was so against going to therapy, right? Mm -hmm. My mom had to like force me basically. Yeah. What do you think influenced or made you like not interested in therapy and not even just not into it, but like against it? Absolutely. I think this so seamlessly goes into why I feel like having South Asian therapists or other people of color or people with just different identities in this field is so important. So simplest answer, the stigma. So like I said, I have lived in Pakistan for 12 years of my life. And although things are changing there, and you know, I would say like my generation and then like now going forward people are really emphasizing mental health at the same time it is a third world country and there's not they have like the easiest way to put this is they have so many other survival things that they need to worry about before they can even get to mental health so mental health basically my point is there's not a lot of education around it there's not a lot of exposure to it so when i came here i actually didn't even know much about mental health and i would argue that back then so this is I'm talking like like when I moved here was like 2009 so like people didn't really talk about mental health here like back then either so like although our country like in the U.S. right now has made a lot of progress we're still not quite there yet it's stigmatized here too Mm -hmm. so think like Pakistan is like maybe like 20 to 30 years behind us right now and so there's Mm -hmm. still I mean, mental health is very much so stigmatized there. And people oftentimes will be like, oh, if you're depressed or you're anxious, like you just need to pray more. You need to like Mm. really get in touch with your spirituality. And although those are such beautiful ways of coping with your mental health or healing from certain things, that's not the only way to like those can be such good means to get there but that's not the only thing that does heal it and then if anything like what happened to me was i was like well i am kind of praying and like taking care of myself and things are not changing so is there something wrong with me then Mm -hmm. so it was just stigma lack of education around it lack of exposure and frankly speaking like i was so nervous to just tell someone like about all this family stuff when so much of it was culturally related and i was like how do i explain some of these things and so that's why I'm saying like my first experience with therapy I wouldn't say it was like life-changing but I definitely saw the benefits of it which is why I was like okay I see why this is helpful but it's not like it's not like my most favorite thing in the world so long story short I was against it because I thought that this Like if I was also going to therapy, that it meant something so bad. It was stigmatized. Mm -hmm. It was, um, I had literally no education around it. I didn't even know what it means to be in therapy, which is Mm -hmm. one of my biggest goals. Like when I do an intake, like part of it is the first thing I ask is, have you been to therapy before? And then I literally explain accordingly because so many people come into therapy and they don't even know what to expect. Absolutely. Absolutely. What was it, Zara? Do you know what made your mom more supportive of it or more able to see the benefits of it, even despite kind of like the cultural dominant narrative? She was like, I have to turn to a professional. (laughs) Yeah. And I think my mom definitely is a very open-minded individual too. And she, like I said, like if you just look at therapy on like a very like basic level, you have a very safe and warm environment where you can talk about your experience and just not have any kind of like no one that you know around you to kind of like influence what you would say. So all these Mm -hmm. things that we like, swallow throughout the day and don't say we have the place over there to say that so honestly like I think my mom just wanted me to be able to have that space because it was so much like 
family stuff that we were dealing with she also didn't want like well I don't want to influence you either and how you feel or what you want to do so why don't you go talk to someone else so I think it was a little bit of that (laughs) honestly speaking she was like I literally don't know how else to help you at this point so she was open to that what did they say when you or what did she think when you told her you wanted to become a therapist She was thrilled. She was very excited. And I also told her like all the reasons why I want to become a therapist. So it was very much so exciting for her. And my mom is 100% a mental health advocate now too, because then she also explored going to therapy herself and she saw how beneficial it can be. And I come from a family of doctors. So things are very like black and white. And it's you either have it or you don't have it, you know? And so I think it was very helpful for her to be in that environment and kind of explore like the gray parts of life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Azara, in regards to your work, what do you kind of, you know, what do you specialize in? What populations do you typically see yourself seeing? Yeah, absolutely. So to get into like the very, I guess, like basics in terms of like what my specialties are, of course, anxiety, depression, trauma, and then more specifically, what I love working with is, of course, BIPOC mental health, intergenerational trauma, immigrants, interpersonal relationships. So specifically like family relationships, romantic relationships within like the context of like your cultural background and your faith. I work a lot with like life transitions and specifically like even transitions between like immigrants coming into the US and what it's like to adjust in this country. But I would say like One of the main things, no matter, so like I said, I work with a lot of people of color. And since we're talking specifically about like South Asian mental health today, one thing I would say like the biggest theme that I see within my work is intergenerational trauma. And that ends up becoming like a huge umbrella for like the work that we do, because there's so many other things that come underneath it. So like one of the things that we actively work towards is sitting in this discomfort of feeling a lot of empathy for our parents who may be immigrants so having a like space for them where we're feeling very empathic towards them but at the same time clients hold a lot of resentment towards their parents too so now there's like multiple layers to this so the first one is our parents have lived in a totally different country under totally different circumstances and then they move here they have kids here who are now my clients that I'm referring to who are receiving totally different opportunities, totally different environment, different language, culture, everything. And parents are so deeply wanting their kids to still be connected to their culture, the language, their traditions, but the kids are in a totally different environment. And although they still value those things, they're just not as aligned with them. And they have a different set of values, which we also know no value is right or wrong. It's The more aligned you are with your values, the more content you will be with your life, right? So that's where a lot of the, I guess, resentment builds up. Mm -hmm. A lot of these clients will say like, my parents have sacrificed so much for me, for me to be here. My parents literally came with nothing. People will be like, my dad literally came here with like $2 and now has a whole business and has this beautiful house that we live in. And I was able to go to college and all these things. So I feel such an immense amount of guilt that my parents had to go through all of that. And they have certain, I guess, wants of me in my life. And there's no way I can or want to fulfill those because they're so not aligned with what I want out of life. Mm. So there's so much love for the parents and so much 
like I said, empathy. So that's the biggest thing that we work on. Like both of those things can exist at the same time because the discomfort of either leaning on one end or the other end is so, for some people, even debilitating. So we work, okay, Mm. you can feel both of those things and it's okay. So I would say like, that's like the main part that we work on, but also giving a lot of grace to our parents because of that intergenerational trauma that I'm talking about. So our parents potentially lived through a war or their parents lived through a war. Mm. So like these clients' grandparents, like actively were living through a war, which means again their most important thing was survival so if that's what they're focusing on of course so many of our other needs or wants are being neglected fully unintentionally that being said certain things have been either instilled or our parents have been conditioned to certain things so they are doing the absolute best that they can with the resources that they have And that is what we work around within therapy. So when they talk about like, why didn't my parents do this for me? Or how was my mom not able to do this for me? Or my parents didn't show up for me the way I wanted them to. Our parents are still doing better than their grandparents. And I'm sure our grandparents are doing better than their parents. But we really try Mm -hmm. to take all of this context into consideration. So, so much of like in therapy, we talk about, okay, let's talk about your needs, your wants, your trauma. And when we are unpacking that, we're simultaneously unpacking, okay, what did your parents live through? What made them Mm. the way they are, which is now impacting you? And that's basically all of that intergenerational trauma. So there's so many like heavy feelings that are fully opposing as well. So having to find like comfort within that and... Then the next layer is boundaries. So now if you're trying to live your life in the way that you want to, while also respecting your family, your friends, or your community and your culture, how do we work with boundaries? Because the South Asian culture is very collectivistic and the culture here in the U.S. is very individualistic. So setting boundaries here is significantly easier than setting boundaries like within our culture. So that's like one of the first things I say to my clients. Like when something like this comes up, I was like, I'm not going to tell you to set boundaries. If that's an option for you, wonderful. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. But boundaries can also be internal boundaries. So I'll give an example like, okay, let's say you have to talk to this one particular aunt and you can't stand Mm -hmm. her for whatever reason. Maybe you don't have the option of never answering the phone or cutting this person out of your life, but you do have the option of maybe limiting that phone call to 10 minutes as opposed to 30 minutes. That's an internal boundary you're setting with yourself. Totally. So many people will like come into therapy and they're like, oh, I had a therapist and they were like, set boundaries or just don't talk to this person anymore. And they're like, that's not an option for me. Yeah. You know? So mm-hmm. I also try to provide all that comfort to my clients and letting them know like, hey, I get it. You also do not have to do something you don't want to do. Like therapy in here is very collaborative. We both yeah. use my expertise within the mental health field and you're the expert in yourself. Let's come together, work collaboratively and figure out what works best for you. But we also know like one size doesn't fit all, Mm -hmm. right? So like, I love this example I use of like, yeah, setting a boundary is probably not very realistic. So let's set an internal boundary of, I love the phone call, right? Like, let's keep it a 10 minute phone call Mm -hmm. versus like a 30 minute phone call. And we also know that there are going to be some clients, right? Where they can't even do that. And you'll have to sit with that with them. And it's just... It makes so much sense, right, why having someone who can understand your culture and your background is just incredibly important in these situations. Yeah. Because there's so much nuance, like we were saying, right? Mm -hmm. If you just have a therapist who doesn't understand this nuance or isn't maybe paying attention really deeply to what their client is saying, 
I think unfortunately like a therapist could label someone as like not listening or not motivated or something like that when actually what's going on is they just are not fully understanding and grasping the situation. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think while we're also talking about that, I think one thing I love that we're able to specifically do like at this practice and something that we talk about very openly is also recognizing that we're human and like us as therapists, like we have also gone through maybe majority of this stuff that you have gone through. And so I love mm-hmm. being able to self-disclose in that manner too. Yeah. So like for some people, I'll let them mm-hmm. know. I was like, yeah, I mean, I was born in the US, but I was like three months old when I moved back to Pakistan and I lived there for yeah. 12 years. They're like, oh my gosh, no way. So do you know this place? And like, have you done this? And have you done that? And like I said, like that therapeutic alliance is so important mm-hmm. because kind of going back to like the stigma piece that I was talking about, people are so afraid of judgment especially within our community, right? Mm-hmm. So having a brown therapist, like we also talk about like in therapy, like you do so much healing with the kind of relationship you have with your therapist because hopefully we're modeling a healthy relationship to you. So when they have an experience with another South Asian individual, so not seeing me as a therapist, and I am meeting them right where they are, not judging them, giving them a warm, safe space, that's also very healing for them. And then when I disclose certain things, like let's say like divorce, it's such a stigmatized mm. in our culture, right? Mm. Because we're a collectivistic yeah. community, sticking together is the most important thing. We know divorces yeah. happen. That's not like, it's inevitable that like, it's gonna happen everywhere. And so when I disclose to my clients, when they say something about like their families, I'm like, yeah, my parents are divorced. I can understand. Mm. They're just like, oh, oh, no way. And it's so <laughs> meaningful for them. Because I mean, living here now, like there's so many people yeah. that I know who have divorced parents, but mm-hmm. there's very, very few South Asian people who, well, of course, South Asian like communities, divorce does exist there, but no one really talks about it openly. So to mm-hmm. do that and be able to relate to someone on that can be so meaningful. So I think yeah. that's like a big part of the work too, like self-disclosing a little bit so they know that they can mm-hmm. trust you. Yeah. Zara, in terms of like mental health and therapy yeah. and just how you see it affects people, yeah. what would you say are the the benefits and the disadvantages of being part of like a culture that is so community focused? I think when these folks are a part of a community, it is, especially living in the US, it is essential it is i would say it's very very necessary because in so many ways and in so many experiences we do feel very isolated to have a sense of community is very important however the con of that is what's happening within the community because if now it's turning into competition and comparisons and who's succeeding who's not and it's getting clicky it's not helpful anymore and Hmm. sometimes unfortunately it can also turn into internalized racism Hmm. and so that's one of the things that can be very tricky to navigate here because I've had clients who have said I don't really have a South Asian community. I would die to have one. Like that would be so meaningful. So connecting them to like the right resources or to groups where they can find that community is very beneficial. But then, like I said, it's also, we have to make sure that these communities 
are healthy because another thing that's true about any community there could be toxicity in any kind of way like even if you think about like any kind of religious institution right like there are themes of toxicity everywhere and then there are some communities that are so healthy they're so intentional about it so i think now with social media especially there's so many spaces Facebook groups or other meetups or even within like college campuses that extends out to the general community too. There's a lot of spaces there for people to connect with and talk about some of these things. And when we also talk about community, I've noticed like a lot of practices or a lot of therapists of color will host just like, let's say like listening circles. So it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily like group therapy, but it's creating a safe space for people who identify within like the same background or identity to come together and just talk about their experiences. And I think that brings such a sense of normalcy for people, which honestly, in and of itself can be so healing if you're not feeling so isolated in that experience. Yeah. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about the mental health impacts of loving your parents, being so connected to them. But if you are a first-generation American how it must be so hard to hold those two opposing identities. I would imagine that it would contribute to more feelings of just more on the outside when you don't totally feel like you fit in with your parents, but you also feel different than your peers. 100%. I would say so many of my clients will also talk about going back to South Asia, wherever, whether it's India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, wherever they're going, they'll say like, oh, when I go there, like people will sometimes make fun of my American accent or like mm. talk about how like I'm so Americanized now. And so like mm. you go there thinking like I look like them and I feel like them. And then you feel kind of like on the outside there. So then you yeah. come back and you're here and you no longer look like anyone a lot of people don't share the same culture as you and maybe there's like certain maybe you do have an accent and then people are either like criticizing that or pointing that out Mm. or just the way you move through life is different because of those like cultural implications so there's like this sense of isolation that you for sure feel and I would say that's why like having those communities where you know in that way is homogenous can be very Mm -hmm. cool to not feel so alone but like I said that's so much of the work that we do right like finding like comfort in that or tolerating that discomfort that it's okay that you feel this way and you feel this way simultaneously so frequently Mm -hmm. people will come in and I feel like it turns into like no I promise I don't hate my parents I really respect my parents Mm. that's why having like a therapist of color is so important especially if you have any kind of like immigrant background it's like I get it I know you love your parents so much because they'll say like one thing about their parents and instantly be like, no, 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 they're awesome. They're awesome. And I'm like, hey, they can be the best parents in the world and they're human. They probably have made mistakes and it's okay. So I think just like approaching this with so much warmth and unconditional positive regard and seeing our parents as humans too, like they were also trying their best. Where like someone like posted something on social media, the other Mm. can't remember the exact words, but it was basically saying like, our parents came here with nothing, not Mm. knowing the language, not knowing the culture. This was also their first time living this life and living Mm. in this world and existing in this world. And they had so many of these other like complications like people talk about like I was trying to go to England and I couldn't figure out what to do and my family came from the 
opposite side of the planet not knowing literally anything having no money on yeah. and they figured it out like i can't even imagine how traumatic that was in some ways and although yeah. that's such a beautiful mm-hmm. story and it's wonderful that they were able to establish a life here it's back to the same thing their main priority was survival they have yeah. established mm-hmm. all of this stuff so that's where then the guilt comes up right like dang like my parents did so much i just want to make sure i do anything and everything to make them proud they did all this for me but it's like yes of course they did and we can be so thankful and grateful and really respect them for that and be upset it's okay to feel upset about certain things that happen within your family or it's okay to be upset that they want something out of your life and you don't agree with that yeah so hard holding so many different opposing feelings Mm -hmm. and all of these feelings are so heavy like guilt shame yeah but pride Mm -hmm. at the same yeah it's it's a lot no that is that is a lot i as you're talking zara the one thing that keeps coming up for me is and this is such an obvious statement but it is the thing that keeps coming up in my brain is like can you imagine the amount of strength that it takes to say we're going to move to a whole new country maybe we don't know the language or maybe we have like little to no money mm-hmm. and as you said like our focus is survival so like we just have to figure it out right. that is so true what you're saying like can you imagine the strength and i i'm hesitant to say the word resiliency right because there's a, a lot of conversations, especially recently about like, I don't want to be resilient. Right. Like, I don't yeah. want to be considered resilient, especially in the like black and brown community. But I, that's what keeps coming up. I just that I imagine would be very hard as parents, like mm-hmm. as adults. And then I imagine it's also very hard to be the child or adult child of parents who went through that too. Like it's, I can just imagine the dynamics that it creates, especially to what you're speaking to. Yeah, absolutely. I think you did a really like nice, like put it in so nicely. I think strength and courage are such beautiful words to Mm. describe this experience, right? And like you said, some people do want to see this as them being resilient. And then like you said, some people don't, but I think strength and courage are such nice ways to kind of like summarize that experience and to give those people, especially our parents, so much grace, you know, when we don't agree with certain things that they did. Yeah. And it's, I mean, as a parent myself now, I think it's so interesting looking at, you know, you have new appreciation kind of for your parents, I think, when you become a parent. And it's so interesting how you can feel so often in day to day. Like I'm doing so, you know, I can see why parents feel like I did so much for you, especially, you know, a parent who like we were talking about immigrated across the world and changed everything, not even necessarily for them personally to have a better life, but for their children to have a better life. And then it's hard, I'm sure, if your child is struggling or they say, you know, this is hard, you know, if they say anything other than thank you, right? It's hard, but that's where we have to hold space for humans can have lots of different conflicting emotions at the same time. And it's Mm -hmm. really important that we allow ourselves to be three-dimensional because when we pretend like we only feel one way, Mm -hmm. that is where like our self-expression gets stunted and that's where we fall into guilt and shame and all those other things. Right. Absolutely. And like I said, these are all such big emotions too. So like feeling just one of them at a time feel a lot. And we're talking like we're feeling like multiple of those and having to sit with it. So 
Zara, when it comes to the South Asian community yeah. and kind of spreading the the message of mental health and how it can be beneficial, this is a broad question and I don't <laughs> expect you to have all of the answers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like what, what are some ideas or recommendations that you have for just getting the idea out there that like it's okay to acknowledge mental health, take care of your mental health, mm. go to therapy, become a therapist. Like, yeah. you know, what are what are some of your thoughts or, or ideas of how to how to create a more positive narrative around that? Amazing question. I love when people kind of ask like, okay, now what? What else can we do? So, biggest thing, education. I think there is a lack of education overall on mental health, regardless of what your background is, if you've lived here your whole life, if you have not, there's a lack of education on the topic of mental health and what therapy looks like. Like I said, it's getting much better and it's awesome. I still don't think we're quite there yet because there's so many people who come into therapy and it's their first time and they're like, I I don't even know how to be a client. And I think if we give them a good framework for it, it will be so helpful for them to engage in therapy and make it the most effective experience for them. So I would say the first thing is education. And when we're educating people on this and we're talking more about this, I think that in and of itself kind of targets the stigmatized portion of it. So the more we talk mm-hmm. about it, the more education we have on it, the more we normalize it, the more we are also destigmatizing it. So I think now again social media is so wonderful, such an easy and quick way of spreading messages literally across the whole world. And so I think yeah. the more we are talking about it, showing like small quick ways of taking care of yourself, I think that can make the biggest difference. And then specifically more advocacy for people who don't have the resources to be in therapy. Um, I think to a certain extent, like this is also such a like systemic issue. Like let's say when it comes to like funding or like insurance and all of that, Mm. like we have to go so, so, so deep down to make sure that we change things at the root to make sure that like there's more access to people for people when it comes to mental health services, but, you know, having more resources for that, like more funding. But then when it comes to like us as therapists, like one thing that a lot of us therapists of color do is we look for like champions within the field, right? So like, Hmm. let's say there's like a client who comes in for therapy, they do a lot of good work. And then they're also like they're becoming really passionate about it. And when you have those clients, you know it too. They're becoming passionate. They're like, I love this work. And they're like, I want to get my mom to go in there too. And we're like, yes, and get your <laughs> and get your dad in. Like, so they slowly yeah. like do the work. So you empower mm. them to kind of empower mm. others. And that's so amazing. I had a client who used to come to me and she, her mom was so against therapy. She was like, you're not going to go to therapy. And she was like, Actually, I will. And then her relationship with her mom got so much better because of her. Mm. Her mom was like, I'm going to therapy too. So <laughs> I think it was also very brave of my client to come to therapy nonetheless and then also keep talking to her mom about it. Yeah. So it can be also very hard. But the fact that she had that opportunity, it's almost like we capitalized on it, right? And so then we were, if we can get even one more person through the door who would have initially said no. I think that's yeah. a success. But that being said, if we're seeing clients like that who are so empowered and are so passionate about mental health and you can see that they do a lot of like advocacy around it too, then we also ask, like, have you ever considered 
becoming a therapist. And it's so surprising how frequently they will say yes. And they'll be like, but I'm scared. There's not a lot of Mm. in the field or there's not this or that. So kind of like talking it through with them and knowing like, hey, this is also an option because in the grand scheme of things, that's kind of how I became a therapist. I know it wasn't directly like that, but I went into therapy, had a particular experience and then decided to become a therapist. But I think when people of color come into therapy and recognize how beneficial it was to connect with their therapist because they were of the similar background it kind of like lights up a fire in them and they're like let's do it like maybe i want to do it too so if they do definitely supporting them in that process i also had a client who was very much so interested in becoming a therapist but was so uncertain so half of our sessions literally used to be working on her mental health and the other half were like okay she'd be like okay so like what does an lpc mean what does it mean mm-hmm. social worker okay what if i want to get a phd so we would talk about all of that and she's in grad school now so I think being able to help people through it and empower them as well to become a part of the field, that's also how we change the statistics. But like I said, then going back to like why I became a therapist, it was so important for me to be that face in the field, Mm. do this work. So I see my job as like half of me is yes, of course, like doing therapy and everything, but also doing the work to change the field and advocate for people who can be therapists so yeah that's why I I feel like when it comes to therapy there's like so many topics you can talk about and I personally am so passionate about so many different like topics but I wanted to focus specifically on Mm -hmm. self-injured mental health because there's not that many conversations happening about it totally totally I love that Zara and I think it's such a good reminder too of right like we can focus so macro we can feel like to change something we have to create a movement we have to do all these Mm -hmm. really big you know, audacious things and, right, like one person can create this domino effect of then they get their family in therapy, then they connect with other people and, you know, friends, mm-hmm. maybe they could become a therapist and it it can create change even on a small level and you don't have mm-hmm. to have a platform of like, you know, thousands of people or anything like that to make a difference. You can make a difference with one person. Right. Absolutely. I think it's also that and of course I have to find boundary between like not always talking about work and like social settings and stuff. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes people will be like, oh, so what do you do for work? And I tell them yeah. I'm a therapist. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who are like South Asians or my non-white food people that I'm meeting, they're like, you're a therapist? Whoa, that is so cool. Which like, mm. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just a job. You know, at the end of the day, you don't usually like expect, like you would think I said like, oh yeah, I mean, I do manage Beyonce. Like you would think I said, yeah. <laughs> but people get so fascinated because there's such few of us. There's like, mm, there's yeah. such few of us. So think about it. If 80% of the field, I last time I checked, I don't quote me on it, but I think it is still a very high percentage like clinicians are still white so then think about like yeah, 20 percent, sure. and then think about like south asians within that 20 percent. that's such a small number right so yeah i think like when i'm in social s- situations when people ask about work i also talk about it so mm-hmm. people ask like okay what is it like being a therapist or how did you become a therapist like of course i have like my <laughs> minute you know summary that i tell them real quick but i think that those conversations alone can also make a difference because it has also happened where people were like, you know, I've been thinking about going to therapy. And this is like, I'm talking like in a rather large gathering where someone will be like, yeah, I heard you say you're a therapist. Like I've thought about it. Like I get kind of nervous. Like, 
what are some resources? And I'll quickly give them like, mm-hmm. well, like, oh, go on this website or go on this website. You can look for a therapist or whatever. Like, okay, sounds good. Thank you. <laughs> but I think Aww. that like makes I love a difference, you know? So I, I love talking about it and I love talking about it openly. And I love also yeah. disclosing like, yeah, I'm in therapy too. It's so helpful. I feel like if you're a therapist, it's always like helps to be in therapy yourself. Love that. Love that. I love that. I feel like that big takeaway message is like just being open and honest, like you said, candid and just just sharing that like it can be a really positive thing. Yeah. Right? Like we can also talk about how there's like obviously negative experiences, but the big part of we don't need to add negativity. <laughs> like, yeah. It sounds like just being able to share like, no, this is possible. This is accessible. Mm-hmm. This is a thing. It's so important. And I love that you do that, Zara. Oh, thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on, Zara. And Zara is accepting new clients. If you relate to her, if you relate to her story, definitely reach out and we can go from there. So thanks so much, Zara, for coming on. Thank you. This was so much fun. Absolutely. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Therapy for Women podcast. To suggest a topic, submit a question, or find a qualified therapist, visit therapyforwomencenter.com.